Aerospace Unplugged. Hello and welcome to Aerospace Unplugged, your behind-the-scenes look into all things aerospace. I'm your host, Carrie Sinclair, and today we have a very special guest on the show, Robert De Laurentiis. Hey, Carrie, it's great to be on your show. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. It's an honor to speak to you. Robert's a speaker, author, pilot, and circumnavigator. He has flown over the North Pole. He's flown over the South Pole. He has encompassed 26 countries, six continents. Uh, Robert, great to have you on the show today. Thanks. You know, Carrie, I want to share that it it was not a mission of one because there's literally hundreds of people that have supported me, you know, 95 sponsors aboard, all the what I call angels out there. And, um, you know, everybody who's worked on a component of this plane should take some pride in what was accomplished. It's really remarkable. Well, it must have caused you to do a ton of planning. And not many people can say that they have flown over both poles. Well, actually, if you look at just circumnavigating the planet by itself along the equator, which is about uh, 300% easier, there are fewer circumnavigators than there are people who have walked on the moon. So when you look at polar circumnavigators, the number is even smaller. That's a fun fact. I like that. So what made you choose your aircraft? And specifically, I happen to know that it had two of our Honeywell TPE-331 engines on it. That's right. You know, when I started doing research and looking at the differences between the Pratt & Whitney engine and the TPE-331, I was blown away because the TPEs use less fuel and produce as much horsepower. So I could still burn less fuel using two TPEs and have the horsepower. So when I realized that, it made my search much easier because I just looked at single and twin engine turboprops that had the TPE 331-10Ts, and there aren't that many. Eventually, I came to the uh, Turbine Commander 900, and in addition to the TPE engines, it had a 52-foot Gulfstream wing with winglets designed in 1983, believe it or not. It had a huge cabin for lots of fuel, And it had the ability to upgrade it to RVSM altitudes, which is reverse vertical separation minima, which means going above 28,000 as high as 35,000, where the engines are even more efficient. Very cool. So tell us a little bit about the mission. What did it take to do it? What was the experience like? That's That's a big question. The mission was one planet, one people, one plane, oneness for humanity. And it basically is a world peace flight. And we took the two places on the planet where peace has always existed, the South and North Poles, and then we wanted to connect them and everybody in between on this mission of global peace. And, you know, when you look at the world today, it's polarized and we're separated based on religion, you know, socioeconomic class, color, um, politics. But by connecting the poles and everybody in between, ultimately, we would show people that we're all connected in our humanity. Well, it was probably a risky endeavor. I can imagine what the poles could probably do to your instrumentation and to your ability to speak to anybody else. So tell us a little bit about those challenges. Well, you know, in terms of assessing what the risk was, when I left my hotel room in Ushuaia, Argentina, the morning of departure, I stacked all my personal belongings in the corner and had a note with my family's address on it, I assessed my chances of survival at 
And that wasn't like 50%. I tried to make the poll and didn't, that was 50%. I'll be alive in the next 18 hours. So it was uh, probably the riskiest thing I've ever done in my life with the greatest chance for failure. Some of the things that we dealt with were fuel gelling, loss of navigation, uh, whiteout, you know, not enough airports to land at, uh, pilot fatigue. The, the list is, is very long. How did the temperature impact you? That was probably the, the biggest concern I had because, you know, Jet A fuel, actually Jet A1 gels at minus 47 degrees Celsius. And some of the temperatures that I recorded with my three different um, temperature probes got as cold as minus 60 Celsius. And of course, the engines like to be around minus 53. So um, we came up with this elaborate scheme. We put five fuel tanks inside the fuselage of the plane and then heated the fuel internally and then found a route through the pressurized cabin, through the luggage compartment, then between the skin of the ship and the pressurized cabin into the inboard tanks. And there we knew that the friction over the wing would heat the fuel by about one to two degrees. Then it would go to a pump, a fuel pump, which would heat it a little bit more. And then eventually to a, um, a heat exchanger. So it was a relatively short distance. And we knew that there was no chance that that fuel would drop in temperature from probably just a few degrees above freezing uh, down to minus 47. So what was the most rewarding thing about this flight? That's a great question. Um, I'm still trying to put all the pieces together in my head, but let me say that when I flew the South Pole on that 18.1 hour leg and we set so many records, it broke me. I felt, you know, it broke me emotionally, spiritually, and quite honestly, physically. And I, I thought, wow, that's the hardest leg of the trip. It's over. And this is going to be a global victory lap. And what I came to realize is that leg broke me open for what would happen on the remainder of the trip. And I am, you know, so thankful for that. It was, you know, one of the hardest moments of my life. But I think from that, many positive things are happening. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that. So your flight was really about your mission. What is your mission? And what have you learned through the flight? You know, there's a lot of missions. We're hoping to inspire future generations of pilots. We certainly had lots of science on board. Our NASA wafer scale spaceship, the particle plastic particle testing experiment for the Scripps Institute of Oceanography, our biofuels. We also showcased the latest aviation and safety and technology, which included the Honeywell TPE 331-10Ts. You know, our mission was one of peace, as I mentioned and connecting people on the planet. And then, of course, we were carrying the 80th anniversary logo for AOPA to help celebrate with them in their anniversary year. That's also pretty fun. So obviously, this has all happened within kind of crazy times with this pandemic and coronavirus. Tell us a little bit about how that impacted you. You know, it's, it's funny, Carrie, because when that came rolling in, I felt like the universe was throwing everything at us that it had. And, you know, after that successful South Pole flight, um, where I assessed the risk at about 50%, COVID seemed um, much less in comparison. And we weren't going to walk away from this challenge. We weren't going to walk away from our sponsors. And we weren't going to walk away from an opportunity to inspire a few more people. So, you know, we persisted, overcame a bunch more challenges, which seemed to be coming in, you know, every couple of days, we'd get a major one. 
for example, uh, the country of Chile refused us access to Antarctica just a few days before I launched. They said we needed the permission of their scientific community, even though Antarctica is open to all the member nations of the Antarctic Treaty. So, you know, we were passing through all kinds of challenges and COVID was not going to stop us. I also heard you were maybe grounded in Spain for three months. I was. Uh, Originally, I had planned to be there for about a month and a half while I was waiting for the North Pole to warm up. And about the time when that was wrapping up is when uh, COVID hit. And of course, Spain was the epicenter for COVID in uh, Europe. And it was funny because, you know, at some point I needed to leave to continue on the mission. And our plastic particle experiment that tested for plastics in the atmosphere, we um, determined that we could potentially test for COVID on those plastic particles. So our science, uh, our science guy, Dimitri Duhain, uh from UC San Diego was able to write us a letter and it became critical that I leave at the height of the pandemic so that we could test the atmosphere. That sounds really cool. What'd you find out? Well, we're waiting for our results right now, but you know, I painstakingly placed this special sticky tape on the wings and the nose of the plane that collects the particles throughout the flight profile. And after each one, I would wrap it in a special material and then seal it in a plastic bag and put the leg and date it so that when I got back, the scientists could examine those samples. That is really cool. So I also understand you use biofuels. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. You know, that experiment um, for me was pretty special because it really tied in with our One Planet mission. And biofuels are now mandated in Europe, and that mandate is coming to the United States very soon. So we were the first aircraft to ever use biofuels over the North and South Poles. And of course, the biofuel worked extremely well in the TPEs. In fact, biofuel can actually get a little bit colder than regular fuel. So that gave us another margin of safety. But, you know, In a perfect world, this flight would have been done on electric engines, you know, with batteries, but that technology isn't here yet. So we went out in the world and found the absolute best technology that was available, which was the TPE 331s, the five-bladed nickel-tip scimitar composite props, the biofuels, and, you know, 50 other mods we made to the plane. So in doing so, did you interact at all with Honeywell's customer support or any of our channel partners? I did. When I was in Sweden, uh, one of the starter generators lost the generator function. So uh, we were able to locate a Honeywell distributor in Denmark uh, called DAO, D-A-O. And within 24 hours, they had overnighted us a new starter generator. It was installed. And, uh, you know, I was on my way and I was kind of blown away, quite honestly, because I thought, okay, we're going to need to send something from the U.S. It's going to go through customs. You know, there's all the fees and they literally had one available. So that was a great relief to me as I was dealing with all these other stresses. You know, the the engines were solid, 100 percent solid, especially during the most difficult times, like over the North Pole when I was losing navigation, attitude, heading, reference, autopilot for five hours, you know, I'd look out the window and see those TPEs with the big props just spinning away, you know, and I thought, uh, I'm good as long as I have fuel. I guess so. Uh, What would you tell employees who worked on these engines? You know, I'd say they're not just simply engines. I like to refer to them as change engines because, you know, we brought change into the world with the help of those engines. And, You know, there's the metal of the machine, and then really it's a vehicle for our message. 
So just keep in mind that these planes are connecting people. They're going out into the world to the absolute most remote parts of the planet, the most extreme conditions that a, you know, a plane or a pilot can experience. And they are just doing a wonderful job. So I, I just was so happy to have those engines. So fortunate. Well, with your mission being one of peace, how have you found peace? And, and what if you had one recommendation for everyone that they could try in their lives to find some inner peace, what would you recommend? You know, COVID actually helped me to find my inner peace. And I was used to flying, you know, somewhere between 340 and 390 miles per hour in the citizen of the world. Uh, I stopped and I was on the bullet train doing about 150. My rental car did 70 and COVID I was doing zero. And, you know, finding a quiet moment and receiving what's available to us rather than trying to figure stuff out, being in a space of gratitude. I mean, I was thankful every time I opened up the refrigerator door or had toilet paper, you know, Um, it helped me to focus on who I was because I realized I wasn't my car. I wasn't my job. I wasn't my clothes. I wasn't the people that I hung out with. I was the person who was helping, you know, their neighbor when they needed help with groceries. I was the person who was being patient and listening and being supportive to my friends that were so far away. I was the sibling that was establishing a deeper relationship with my um, sisters. So I think that um, it really is a remarkable thing. Well, you've accomplished so much and you've found this inner peace. What's next for you? That's a question I get a lot. We are working on the docu-series, the 10-part docu-series. In fact, I saw episode eight last night. It's called Peace Pilot to the Ends of the Earth and Beyond. And right now, the Discovery Channel uh, has that for review, but we're going to put it out to Netflix and uh, Nat Geo. And we're really excited about what that's going to do in the world because it has the cool factor of the plane. Um, it has the travel portion to the you know 20-plus countries. It has uh, a message and the lessons that we learn from going out in the world, flying around, meeting other people. And then I'm working on my fourth book, which is called, uh, right now it's, it's by the same title, Peace Pilot to the Ends of the Earth and Beyond. I'm about two-thirds of the way done. I'll be working on that over the next couple months. Uh, we also have submitted our first simulation to Redbird uh, Flight Simulators. It's about the takeoff from Ushuaia, Argentina. And right now they're programming that in. They're creating a duplicate uh, complete with logos of the citizen of the world. And any aspiring pilot in the world that has access to one of those 3,800 Redbird flight simulators will be able to fly to the uh, South and North Pole using Honeywell TPE 331-10Ts. So Robert, you've learned quite a bit on this trip. What kind of lessons could you give those who are struggling now due to the pandemic? Well, you know, one of the things I learned on the trip, Carrie, is when things get difficult, and certainly they did as, you know, I was losing navigation over the North and South Poles or dealing with extreme cold. Um, What I learned is you have to return to your fundamentals when things get complicated. And as humans, our fundamentals are that there are more similarities than differences amongst people. And we value the same things, family, love, peace, financial security, physical health and well-being, joy and happiness. 
So rather than focusing on the differences of politics, religion, socioeconomic class, that sort of thing, we just need to realize that we're all humans having a very similar experience actually right now, and that our way out of this is working together and that no single person, company, or country is going to have the solution. That's really cool. So how do people find you if they want to learn more about your mission? Pretty easy to find on social media. Um, we have a website called Flying Through Life, and the through is T-H-R-U. Or you can just go to Pole, so P-O-L-E, two, T-O, and then Pole again, flight. So pole to poleflight.com. And you can go directly in that way or through the Flying Through Life uh, website. But you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, we're definitely out there. That's great. So it has been great speaking to you, Robert. But before we sign off, we ask every guest, since this is Aerospace Unplugged, how do you unplug at the end of the day? Well, you know, one of my favorite places in the world is Balboa Park. And I live right across from the park right now. It's where Charles Lindbergh used to walk. He lived just a few blocks away. And I like to go into the park without my cell phone and just be quiet, sort of do a walking meditation and connect with nature. And like I said before, you know, receive the messages that are available to me rather than trying to figure out things. I spend my energy trying to open up to the answers that are available to me. Well, that's really cool. I appreciate you so much being on this podcast with us today. So thank you so much for joining us. All right. Thanks for having me, Carrie. Anytime. I'd love to chat with you more. Okay. Well, once again, I'm your host, Carrie Sinclair. Please be sure to check us out at aerospace.honeywell.com to learn more about those TPE 331 engines that helped Robert get where he was going. And don't forget to subscribe to Aerospace Unplugged on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And until next time, safe travels. Today's episode was produced by Bogdan Korshev and edited by Mircha Pizai.